recurring in my life over and over. One that I continue to let define how I feel about God, to let guide my direction and what I want to see from God. And today I pose that question to you, church, and I believe this is a very critical question. But that question is, who is Jesus to you? We may know him in a lot of different ways. We may understand that he was alive at one point in, in history. But Jesus, in the Bible, posed this question to his disciples in Matthew 16 and 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? I think that's a very important question because it really calls to our heart. It calls to looking at ourself, doesn't it? And as I started looking at this message, my, my soul, my spirit was a little bit restless because I think about how we miss the mark on this question sometimes, about how we miss the mark on church sometimes, about how we approach God, about how we give ourselves to Him. As we approach this question in the Bible, we see that Jesus and His disciples are ministering through Galilee. They have made their way uh, through, and they're now at the coast of Sisera Philippi. As they've made their way here, a little bit of history about this place is that this was uh, under the Roman rule. It had been a place of pagan worship, of idol gods, of false gods. And even at this time, there was a marble temple that had been erected. And they wanted every, every citizen to come through once a year and burn a little incense and declare that Caesar was Lord. Now, so far, the disciples had followed Jesus. They had left what they have known. They followed him through this ministry. They have been watching and seeing Jesus perform miracles and ministering to people. And they started to become to understand who Jesus is. But Jesus still was a little concerned about them knowing who he truly was and about receiving it themselves. Because sometimes we can even be that close to Jesus and still miss the mark. So we've got to examine ourselves and we need to make sure that we answer that question from our heart and not from our mind. So as Jesus looks in this place of pagan worship and idol worship and false gods, he looks at his disciples and asks this question, who do you say that I am? And church, that's what I'm going to ask of you today. You know, I've been in church sometimes and I always wonder about the end of service. You know, when are we going to end it and how is it going to end? And so I'm, I'm going to leave it as no surprise today. At the end of service, we're going to have an altar call. Sometimes, you know, we don't have to leave it wandering and get to the end of service and start saying, I wonder if I'm going to, I wonder if I'm not. But that's one thing that I believe in and I love about our church is that we have an altar call about every Sunday. But that's a time for us to reflect, a time for us to bring our needs to this altar, for us to come together as a congregation in unity to pray for one another and lift these needs to God and in faith believe that we're going to receive the things that we ask. So go ahead and search your heart this morning as, as I talk and I go over these questions and prepare for that altar service as we get there. In verse 13 of Matthew, Jesus first asked the questions this way. Before I tell you the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus first looked at his disciples and he said, who does men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus was a little concerned about his disciples, about what, he, what they have heard about and what he has been proclaimed by other people. So the disciples said this. They said, some people think that you're John the Baptist. Well, who was John the Baptist? He was a holy man. He was willing to die for his faith. He gave everything to the ministry. Even King Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back. 
Some people said they thought he was Elijah. In the scripture, we see that Elijah was a prophet and a man who was to be the forerunner of Christ. So some people still didn't believe that Jesus was Christ, that he was still the forerunner of the true Messiah. Some believe that he was Jeremiah, a prophet delivering a stern message of judgment. Some believe that he was just one of the prophets, just another man, just somebody else bringing some word that we need to listen to. These views all lifted Jesus above a normal man, right? They lifted him to be a holy man, a wise man, a teacher, a spirit-filled man maybe. But none of these descriptions lifted Jesus to who he truly was, the Son of God, the one true Christ, our Messiah, who we know him to be today. One thing that we can't do is compare Jesus to a man, right? Jesus became man as much as God could be to be here to show us, to be an example to us, but we cannot compare him to just any man. Humanity tries to describe Jesus in ways that we can understand and grasp. We didn't really fully understand Jesus in the Old Test in, in, in these times, and we started to say, you know, he was John the Baptist. He was just a prophet. He can't be this supernatural form in a man that we know him to be. A public opinion poll will not find the answer of who Jesus really is. Even if I was to go through this congregation today and ask each of you to describe who Jesus is, that doesn't mean that that who you know him to be, to be makes him real to me. Not everyone thought that Jesus was a great man, though. A lot of people in power, a lot of Jews, a lot of Pharisees, people that, that ran the church and had positions of authority often tried to discredit Jesus, often tried to discredit his ministry. They called him a lowly carpenter in Mark 6 and 3. Jesus, here he was in his hometown preaching to the people, speaking and teaching, and he was only called a carpenter, nothing more. He was called the son of Joseph. That's a fact, he was. However, they tried to describe him and label him as just a man in this scripture when he was so much more. The Pharisees, when Jesus healed a, a blind boy, even called him a sinner for doing it on that day. He was described as an illegitimate child in John 8.41. He was even called by Pharisees to be a devil because he cast spirits out of a man and they tried to say that he was Beelzebub, that he was a demon casting power over demons, trying to discredit Jesus. Some called him a madman. Some called him a fool, an object of scorn and contempt. When he was hanging on the cross and people pointed at him and said, look at this man, the man who saved people, who raised people from the dead, and here he hangs on the cross. There's no power in him. Some called him a mere man. Church today, we know him to be so much more than that. Our lives and the miracles that he performs in our lives raises him to a power and a standard that we know he can bring us through all things. But we need to know him more and we need to accept him as more. Present day humanity also sees him in a different light than many times we need to know him to be. As I started thinking about this, I started thinking about uh, an opportunity that I got one time to go on a mission trip. Um, I got to go in a pretty nice place. You know, a lot of people go to third world countries and 
Uh, you know, we've done that thing too, and those are rough times. Andrea and I went on a mission trip, and it was nice. We had plenty of food. We had good, comfortable places to sleep, and we had no complaints. But we went to Cyprus, and it was really cool because this is where Paul went on a missionary journey. He was preaching and teaching in this land way back in Bible times, and we got to go to some of the places and see where he preached and some of the, some of the establishments that he was at. But as we went through, you could still see that there was a great need for people to know Jesus. We researched a little bit and found that the main religion in Cyprus was Greek Orthodox. And if you look at this religion a little bit, the Greek Orthodox believe that Jesus was alive at one time. And they believe that he's a process of their religion. But they don't believe that, that he is a necessity for their salvation. They believe that the works of the men in that church and the things that they do and the liturgies that the church recites is how they are able to obtain Jesus. So as Andrew and I and, and the other missionaries went to the streets and we were spreading the word, people were walking down the street and I, I remember walking up to them and said, hey, do you know Jesus? They would shake their head, yeah, I do. You know, that was pretty cool. But after a few times of that, I was still a little bit young then, they kind of helped us a little bit, say, you know, you need to take that a step further. We know that they know Jesus, that he existed, but you need to ask him a little bit more in depth. So we started asking them, do you know Jesus? Yes. Well, did you know that Jesus is the only way that you can obtain salvation? That accepting him into your heart, claiming your sins before him, and laying them down is the only way that you can make it to heaven and know him. Then you can see their face change a little bit. Well, I've never heard that before. You know, that's not what my church teaches. That's not what I know to be true. But it's so interesting that so many people can know Jesus or know of Jesus but not know him in their heart. So as I prepared this morning, I found a clip on the Internet describing who people thought that Jesus was. I want to read a few of these. A good man, I don't know, maybe the Savior he was a person and historical figure, and that's it. A man who started something with some people and turned it into something he didn't intend. I think Jesus was pretty deliberate with what he did, right? I don't think this was an accident. Jesus is everybody. Everybody has a little bit of God in them. He maybe existed, but he didn't die for my sins. He'll never save me, but it's okay if other people believe that. I don't believe he ever existed. And I don't know yet, I still have to figure out really what I believe in and what it means to me. Wow. A lot of us here today are saying, how in the world can people believe that way, right? How can people think that Jesus never existed? How can they think that he was just a man? How can they think that he's not going to save their sins? I say to you that it's better for them to, to say that than to profess that they know Jesus, but not really know him. It's better for them to not to just say that he didn't exist or don't believe him at all than to sit in church and say, or sit at home and say, or sit at our workplace and say, I'm a Christian, but not really know who Jesus is in our hearts. Because just as I'm here today and I feel, you know, people ask me today, are you nervous? This is the first time that I've spoken in front of this congregation. And I have not a nervousness that, that stirs my spirit when I get up and speak. 
but that burden of responsibility. The burden of responsibility to represent Christ in my life, to represent what He would like to say and what He would like for your heart to hear this morning. And I feel that burden of responsibility this morning. So that question, who is Jesus to you? There are many religions out there that want to talk about Jesus a little bit. The Jews believe Jesus. They believe that he was Mary's son, but they don't necessarily believe she was a virgin, which discredits Jesus and his ministry as being born of a virgin birth. That he was a teacher, that he was respected, that he was a miracle worker, but they often deny that his power came from God. Islam believes in the virgin birth. They revere Jesus as a prophet, a teacher, a miracle worker, but they often deny that he was crucified or that he even rose from the dead, which again discredits the true meaning of Jesus. They also believe that he will return, but as a Muslim and a follower of Muhammad. Hinduism believes that he was a holy man, a teacher, a god, but not the god. There's a big distinction there. Buddhism believes that he was an enlightened man and a teacher, but that he is not divine. Why is it that all these religions feel that they need to describe Jesus and explain Jesus and talk about Jesus, but not really tell the true meaning of Jesus? I read a book called Cold Case Christianity. It was written by a man named J. Warner Wallace. And I think it was even in this last movie, God's Not Dead 2. I haven't, I haven't seen that. But the book is really interesting because this man was an atheist for 35 years of his life. He just denied God altogether. He didn't even believe in him. And he was uh, very, very strong in this belief system that he had. But after 35 years of being an atheist, he was a man who um, investigated cold cases, murders, crimes, things of that nature. And he was able to apply all of that knowledge that he had had all, over all of those years of researching cases that had uh, not been looked at or investigated for many years. And a lot of the investigation and a lot of the uh, details and the facts or the witnesses weren't around anymore. You know, the, the suspects were gone. The clues weren't there anymore. He was able to apply that to the question of, is Jesus real? Are the Gospels real? And when he applied that, Knowledge to the crime scenes. In the book, he quoted this quote. If one was inclined to begin a spiritual quest for truth, it would be wise to start with the faith system best describing the man all other faith systems find themselves compelled to explain. There's a reason these other faith systems feel comp compelled to explain Jesus. Because there's no denying that he was here. There's no denying that he was around. But what they want to do is kind of water it down a little bit. They want to say, yes, that's who he was. Yes, he, he was alive. But let's work him into our religion a little bit so we don't really say who he really was. So we don't believe that he is the savior of your sins. That he is the one and only way. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. So where do we get our true answers from? We get our true answers from this book right here, right? We get our true answers from our relationship with God. We get our true answers about where our heart is led to believe that God is. And we have a relationship with Him. Matthew 3 and 17, God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So God states it right there for us, that a truth and in the answer that He 
Jesus is God's only son. Heavenly spirits proclaim that Jesus was the son of God all throughout the Bible. They raised up, and they, even in the scripture it said, if nobody else proclaims that I am Jesus, the rocks are going to cry out. The rocks are going to, are going to uh, lift me up and praise me. The Bible is filled with information. Even the demons recognize Jesus. Even when he was jumped out of the boat and he was walking up, and the, and the legion, the, the spirits that were within the men there, cried out and said, Why are you coming to torment me? Even they recognized that the authority and the power of Jesus was coming before them. The Bible is filled with information about Jesus and labels him in many different ways. They call him Lord. He is in control and he is deity. And we need to lift him up as such. Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. Isn't that wonderful today? Doesn't that make your heart happy and make your heart fulfilled to know that Jesus is our salvation today? And that he is Christ. He is anointed. He has been anointed by God to bring that scripture and that example to us today. We can only come to the answer of who Jesus is through divine revelation. I'll never know who Jesus is by having someone explain it to me. The sinner will never know who Jesus is if... We tell them who it is, but they don't ever take a step in the right direction to re realize him as their personal savior. We have got to have a relationship with him. In Matthew 16 and 17, Simon, Peter, had just answered Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So what was the question that he was answering when Peter looked at him and said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus looked at his disciples, at all of them, and he said, who do you say that I am? Not who do men say, who do you say that I am? Out of the disciples, the one that spoke up, that replied real quick was Peter. And he said, I believe you to be the Son of God. I know you to be. And when Jesus looked at him, he knew that he was not just reciting. Because in the previous scripture, Jesus said, who, does, who do you say that I am? The Son of Man. He even proclaimed who he was. But Peter wasn't repeating who Jesus was saying that he was. Peter was repeating to Jesus who his heart. Who his heart said that he was. It doesn't mean anything for us to say that Jesus is Jesus, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Redeemer, if we don't believe that in our hearts, if we don't pray that without doubt, if we don't cling to that and receive it the way that he would present it to us. So I know that when Jesus looked at him and, and heard that answer, that Jesus was looking at Peter's heart, not just his reply, not just listening with his ears, but he believed that to be true. As we go through the Bible, and I looked at examples of what people in the Bible would, would proclaim about Jesus. Simeon and Luke said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Even when he saw, saw Jesus as a boy, he knew immediately that this was the Savior, that this was the Messiah who had come to save them. Nathaniel said in John, Thou art Son of God, King of Israel. Peter said in Matthew, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha said, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The Roman centurion said, surely 
This was the Son of God. Who do you say that he is? Who do you proclaim him to be this morning? One thing about humans is that we can profess to be a lot of things, can't we? We can say that we're a Christian. We can say that we believe in something. We can say that we're on a diet when we're really not. You know, you can tell me that you're on a diet. <laughs> I won't say who. Somebody yesterday said, I'm on a diet, but I saw him eating some, uh, some, uh, some little cakes and stuff. He said, you better not tell so-and-so because I want them to think that I'm still on my diet and they don't need to know. You know, we can claim to be a vegetarian and when nobody's looking, eat a piece of bacon because it's good and you can't really be a vegetarian because of bacon. But we can profess to be a lot of things this morning. We can profess to be a Christian and hope that everybody that's looking at us thinks that we're a Christian, but in truth we're not. We want people to think that we're saved and that we're living right, but behind closed doors we aren't. The weight of that is heavy. The burden of that truth is real. We have got to know Jesus in our hearts. And I'm telling you today, if you do, and you do know Jesus, and we proclaim that today, then we know that joy, and we know that happiness, and we know the promise that is in Jesus Christ this morning. But we have to do more, and we have to make sure that we do more than just profess and put up that front. We have got to know that we have made Jesus number one in our hearts. If we do that, what's the result of that? We're able to show that to other people. We're able to make sure that the condition of our hearts is seen by others. We have got to know the condition of our hearts and minds, don't we? One thing that we do that we believe is, uh, is our communion. We believe in taking that bread and, and, that, and that wine and that grape juice as a representation of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're asked to examine ourselves, right? And I think that's why this question is so restless in my heart because as a part of what we believe in examining ourselves, this question keeps coming back is who is Jesus to me? Who do I believe Jesus to be? Only the Father can make, only God can make that realization the truth in your heart. Only by divine revelation and prayer and seeking it out and feeling that can we make that true in our hearts today. Is that right? One thing that we need to do is not miss heaven by 18 inches. That's about the distance between your head and your heart. We can't let our heads be defining who we say Jesus is. We've got to let our heart realize who Jesus is. As I was preparing, I read a story, and it was about this man who was walking a tightrope. He started walking a tightrope. He was in front uh, of this crowd started to gather and they started to just watch him go back and forth on this tightrope. He would go one way and then another, took the net away from underneath him. People said, wow, that's pretty neat. The man kept going across the tightrope, started doing some acrobatics and different things. And then finally, as he kept doing this, he got a wheelbarrow and pushed it across the tightrope a few times with no problem. The crowd was amazed. The man came down to speak to the crowd and he said to them, everybody like what you're seeing? Yeah. Well, who thinks that I can take a person across in that wheelbarrow? Well, after everything that they've seen, everybody in the crowd raised their hand. 
And the man started looking out at him and said, that's great. You, sir, with your hand raised, come up here and jump in the wheelbarrow. Before he could turn around to get the wheelbarrow, the man was gone. He was running down the street. So I think it's pretty interesting when I look at this story that we can know something in our head and we can proclaim something in our head, but do we believe it in our heart? This man that had watched this tightrope walking believed wholeheartedly that he could take a person across in that wheelbarrow. After what he had seen over and over in this man, what he was doing, and he was amazed by it, he says, yeah, sure, you can take somebody across, just not me. <laughs> Let's not find ourselves in that situation with God. Jesus is saying in the Bible that you can do greater things. Do you believe that in your heart? Because a lot of times we hear that and we say, yes, you can, and we believe it in our head, right? Jesus says that you can be saved if you just ask me into your hearts. I believe that to be true. But did we commit our heart to it? Jesus says, I want you to go and preach to others, and I want you to reach others, and I want you to be the example that I am. Yes, I believe that. But do we practice that with our heart and our belief? That is the responsibility today as Christians that we have that is such a heavy burden. Even outside of these walls, we come today, we come to church, we, we hear the scripture and we hear the word, and we know that these truths are real. We believe them to be real, but do we believe it in our heart? Do we profess it in our heart? I believe a majority of us today are saved, right? I believe a majority of us know God as our Savior. But can we, with confidence... Speak that truth outside of these walls. Can we with confidence say, this is who I believe in? And if we're confident in our hearts and grasp who Jesus is to us, then it will be evident in our lives. One thing about Jesus is that he is unique. He is not like anybody else. That's why he cannot be compared to a mere man. That's why he can't be compared to just one of the prophets. That's why he can't be compared to just somebody who brought some word and something happened and he didn't really intend for something to turn into what it intended to turn out today, right? Jesus is deliberate. He came with a message from heaven. He came with a purpose to die for our sins. He came with a burden of responsibility that he carried through his life, that he shared with others. He was an example in his ministry and ultimately died on the cross for us, for me, for you. One thing about Jesus is that once you ask him into your hearts and you find him to be unique and you realize who he truly is and who, can, who he can be in your life, he starts to work in you because you're unique as well. Each and every one of us is unique, and, and I think that's something so, so awesome about serving God is that, that me, you know, I'm kind of a goofball. I'm serious sometimes. You know, if I had to write a, a Facebook profile, I probably wouldn't because I don't like doing those kind of things. You know, if you got to know me a little bit more, you might find that, uh, you know, I can be pretty crazy, say some stupid things. I'll do about anything you dare me to do and eat whatever and all those kind of things. But just to look at me or just to not know me, you don't know those things, right? Well, that's the same thing about Jesus. Jesus can be so many things to us. He can be all the things that, he, that we need in our lives. And he can bring us joy and satisfaction and happiness. But we don't know that if we don't accept him in our hearts. If we don't truly 
build on what Jesus says we should do. And just as Jesus is unique, he uses unique people. So even me and all those quirks that I have and the things that I do, my wife puts up with me, thank you God for her, but Jesus puts up with me too. And he says even that guy that doesn't get it right, that doesn't say a lot of things correctly, that can't pronounce half the things, that talks so country, I don't know why he's on Facebook today, I can even use that guy. God wants to use you today as well. He wants to use you in your uniqueness because you may be qualified to reach someone that I can't. You may be qualified to reach someone that the pastor can't, that Pastor Tony can't get to praise, that Pastor Jeremy can't get into youth service. You may be the one qualified to reach that person. Our experiences in life form us, but they don't define us. Our experiences in life and the things that we have done, and I'm telling you here today that, yes, I've been in church most of my life, but I've made a great many mistakes. I often fail. I'm human. That's part of the, the human part. But to know a God, to me, who can forgive that, who can see past those things, who can say, that's okay, you admitted it, you're wrong, you did wrong, but I'm still going to use you. That's the God that we serve today. God brings us to this realization. And, P and Peter said in Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus told Peter this, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when Peter answered Jesus and said, You are the Son of God, the one true Messiah. You are the one I believe in. You are this person that you proclaim to be that I have followed. You are this person who I know you to be. Jesus looked at him and said, on this rock, on this truth, is where my foundation will be. So once we have accepted Jesus into our lives, we accept that truth, we accept that responsibility in our hearts, that's where the foundation of our relationship is with Jesus Christ. That's what God's going to build on. That's what God is going to use to, to connect with others. Once our foundation is set, then we're able to reach out to other people, right? Then we're able to reach out and, and seek other people and know who they are. Once we connect with God and confident in our hearts, He will define our lives. I'm here to tell you today that there's a joy in reaching other people. There's a joy in being able to talk to someone about God. There, there's, there's apprehension. At first, it's hard to get past that hump, right? Hey, how are you? In the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, you're a sinner, you're all this stuff, and how do I even start this conversation with you? I'm not even going to. I've been in that, in that position many times where I've talked to someone, and I just I want to tell them about God, but I just can't get over that awkward moment. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's hard. But once you do get over that awkward moment and you're able to start a conversation with someone about Jesus and it just starts coming out and Jesus uses you, there is a joy in that. There is a happiness that can be found in that. And that's what we need to continue is that once our foundation is set, once we realize who Jesus is, that's not the end of that question. And that's why my soul is restless when I was seeking out this message today because I know that I have not finished figuring out who Jesus is to me. 
Paul said in Philippians 3 and 8, I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of Christ Jesus. What are we pressing for today? Are we pressing for just a one time, a one and done, a thank you God, I'm saved, I'll, I'll have my seat and I'll just sit here for the rest of my life? Are we looking for that relationship of God, that defining moment that defines who we are, that, that we lift up Jesus and we're able to follow him and seek him out? Many of us have formed our opinions of Jesus in the church, right? I think when Jesus looked at Peter so long ago and talked about setting the foundation and who the church would be, maybe a lot of times it's not the way that we represent it today. But the church is represented in who we believe God to be in our hearts. About that truth that we accept him to be. So don't depend on what you hear. Depend on supernatural experiences. In John 10 and 25, Jesus is asked by the Jews to tell them plainly. The Jews looked at Jesus and said, tell me plainly. If you're Christ, just tell me. And man, if Jesus could put it into these terms that we would understand today, he would look at them and probably slap them on the back of the head one good time and make a real good YouTube video. And he'd say, what do you mean? I've already told you. How plain can I make it to you today? Jesus answered them and said, you believe not. Jesus answered them, I told you, you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. The Jews already knew who Jesus was. They were just denying it in their hearts. Their minds were saying, we've got to maintain power. We've got to maintain this, this position that we have. And if we accept Jesus in this way, then we give all of that up. They already knew who Jesus was. And I don't think he can make it any more plain to us today. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the only way to God. Jesus says that he is our salvation. He says these things to us. As I reflected on this, again, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't like. I don't like talking about myself in strengths and weaknesses. If any of you have ever had to do that in your work, have you ever had to do an evaluation on yourself, that is a hard thing to do. I really like to just copy last year's. I made one good one about five years ago, and every year I copy it, and I just add a little something else to it because I don't like thinking about that too often. But we can't do that with God. We can't copy our relationship from five years ago and our unique experience with God and keep applying that to our life year after year after year. We've got to get a fresh anointing and a personal experience with Him that is renewed. So who do I say Jesus is to me? Jesus has been my rock. Jesus has been my foundation in my life. There is something about being in church, and I wish I could share that joy. Sometimes I don't understand why people don't share that, that same zeal as I do. And, you know, a lot of times Andrea and I are here at church, and, you know, we kind of find ourselves being the last ones out of the building, and we, we, we kind of find ourselves hanging around and talking and things like that. But I can't explain it to you because that's what I desire. 
I love being in church. I love being in this house. I love being where I can be used and work. Fellowship. Develop. So how do we get that same zeal into other people? How do we get that same zeal for God into other people? But I think the question that always comes back is defining who Jesus is in our lives. Because if we define who Jesus is and we accept that in our lives, then he'll give us that zeal. He'll give us that drive. He'll give us... that burden on our lives. So sinner and saved alike may know some of these descriptions that we call Jesus. Savior. Redeemer. Master. Shepherd. Who do you call Jesus? Who do we praise Him to be in our songs? Lord. High and mighty. Our deliverer. Our fortress. Who do we say that Jesus is today? Is he the bread of life, our rock? He is the I am. He is the things that we proclaim to be. These are the names that we worship to and we call out in prayer too, right? <clears throat> we can get caught up in prayer and we can, we can kind of overhear somebody else. And I used to be in a church and we had, we had one pastor and I couldn't hear anything else but his prayers. And sometimes I found myself kind of leaning towards the way he was praying because I kind of got lost in it, and I had to separate that, but we've got to find our prayer. We've got to find our praise. We've got to find our definition. We've got to let Jesus define who we are. We've got to let Jesus define who we see him to be. Pastor Tony, if you would come forward. As we start to look at these names that we worship to, that we hear, that we read about, that we're taught about in Sunday school. We need to understand that these are the names of Jesus. And when we talk about who Jesus is, sometimes I hear that Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is that guy. But Jesus is so much more. Sometimes we joke about things, but at the end of the day, we need to know that Jesus is our Savior. That he is the deity of God. That he is the one Messiah sent to save our sins. That there is power in the name alone of Jesus. Even earlier we sang that Jesus. 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 Each time we said that earlier in the songs, it just kind of hammered down in my soul. Who are you? Who are you to me? Who do I want you to be in my life? Who do I desire you to be, God? If we've heard these names today and we've heard these terms, but they're not personal to us, that's what we're about to come and pray to figure out and to make it personal in our lives. If you've heard the name Savior, but you've not experienced that in your life, and I'm not talking about what our mind says I'm not talking about telling me if you're on a diet or not. Because it's not up to me and I don't care. It's up to Jesus. Because whatever you say to him, if Peter had looked at Jesus and said, you're the son of God, but he didn't believe it in his heart, Jesus' reply would have been different. He would have said, 
that's who you say that I am, but you don't believe it. The only person that we have to make believe that we're a Christian this morning is Jesus Christ. The only person that matters is whether or not God knows your name when you're called up. Is our name on that list today? Do we know him not as a Savior who is called as a name only, but do we know him personally as the Redeemer of our sins, the Redeemer from hell and the promise of eternal life? You know, we talked this morning that there's a lot of things that Jesus is today. But there's also some things that he is not and he will never be. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus does not compromise. Jesus does not condone sin. Jesus is not a promise breaker. Jesus does not meddle in confusion. Jesus does not promote disunity. Jesus will not ever forsake us if we just call out to him today and lay it at his feet and accept who he wants to be in our lives. If you want to experience the Redeemer this morning to restore your life to God, to know him as a healer, you've heard that name healer before, but do you want to experience him as a healer this morning? Maybe not of an illness, but of your situation. Maybe not of a situation, but of your condition. We've heard him called the bread of life. Jesus is the sustenance of our life. He is at the core of who we should be. He is at the core of what we should believe and what we, we should feel and what we should desire this morning. If you want to know him as your rock and your foundation in life, he can be that person today. If you have any doubt, any hesitation, we need to get that out of our hearts this morning, right? I was listening to a Francis Chan, he's an author and somebody who I really like listening to and reading, but he talks about getting rid of that doubt that Jesus doesn't listen to some prayers by some people because of the doubt that is in our hearts, but I'm telling you today to cast away that doubt, that if you want to know Jesus in a personal way, in this way, if you've known him in your past, but you haven't refreshed that experience today, if you know who Jesus is, but you want to know the foundation is set and you want to do more and see more and seek more, then today is that time. Church, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar this morning as we start looking at this question. Let's look into our hearts this morning. Let's let it define us this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Church, if you'll just come on down to the altar this morning and Let's pray together as a church family. This is something that I believe in. And let's gather and pray for each other as well. Now, I'm not going to do, sometimes we keep asking for certain things. We keep asking if you yourself need a certain thing. But what I'm asking as a church family today is look at all of these names that we've called out today. Savior, Redeemer, Master, Hope, Peace, Mighty God, The Way, our healer, our deliverer, the light of the world, the living God and our shepherd. Church, let's make him real in our hearts this morning. And let's give him praise this morning. And let's uplift him this morning because he is worthy. That's one of the things that resounds in 
my life. And many times when I pray, that's what comes to mind is, God, you are worthy. Because he did die for us, and he's worthy of what we can give back to him. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our sacrifice this morning. So church, just answer this question. Who is Jesus to you?